Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and on our panel today, we have Josh Adams. Hey, everybody. Michael Reese. Hello, Elixir friends. And today we're joined by two special guests, uh, Lars and Emilio. Uh, can you guys please uh, give us an introduction and kind of uh, a little background? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm uh, Lars, and I'm uh, located in Sweden. Um, been an Elixir enthusiast for a short while. Uh, and I guess I'm here to talk about Inky, which is a project me and Emilio did. Right. Uh, I'm Emilio, and uh, I've been doing Beam programming on and off since 2008 when I was introduced to it in university. But professionally, I've used Erlang for uh, one year. Nice. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. That's very cool. And so we invited you guys on because there were some uh, articles I'd seen, some discussions around a project that you guys have been working on, uh, which was Inky, which uh, Lars had already mentioned. And that is a, like the way you guys are using it is with nerves and uh, using it as like an e-ink display. And I just thought that was really cool uh, because it, it, it brings in a lot of options for like low power usage uh, you know, maybe even using like uh, just battery kind of setups. And I just love to hear like how, how you guys got started with this and just kind of uh, what you see as uses and just love to hear kind of your experiences with nerves and everything. So to get started, I would just love to hear, do you guys work together or how did you get started on this project together? Uh, we do not work together. Uh, I tried to figure out exactly what led to Emilio joining the project. Uh, he's just generally been helpful and after a while he got on board for real. But I started working on uh, on Inky because I wanted to use the, the Inky device from Nerves and I didn't want to install Python in my Nerve system to do it. Uh, and the normal driving library for Inky is made in Python. So that's where it started. Uh, but no, Emilio and I, I guess we met in the, yeah, we, we met in the Elixir Lang Slack in the Nerves channel. Nerves and Scenic channel, I'd say. Yeah, and uh, I guess I, my involvement started after seeing uh, Lars's uh, Raspberry Pi Zero with a screen mounted and just being blown away by how small everything was. And... Uh, finding it fascinating, really, that you could control one of those devices uh, from Elixirland. And um, then I read the code he published, and being ki kind of a closet pedantic jerk, I uh, <laughs> started reviewing the code and like coming up with suggestions. But then I realized that it would be a better use of everyone's time if I just did a pull request or two. And yeah, it's a slippery slope once you start. So I guess I'm a bit more involved now. So Lars, it sounds like you initiated this project. Uh, and I understand that idea of like, oh, there's support for this in this uh, Python library. I'd like to be able to use it more natively with something that I care about and I'm passionate about. And I'm just curious. Uh, so did you start uh, promoting it somehow? Like if someone else has got a library or they've, they've kind of got the same kind of idea, it's like, oh, I love this, this thing. I want to kind of do an Elixir version of it. And how did you go about kind of making people aware of it? Well, to start with, I didn't intend for it to be much more than 
I need to get this working because I want to show pictures on my device. Uh, so at first it was a straight port from the Python. Uh, I just passed around the huge state object uh, instead of working with the class that the Python library provided. And then it was when Emilio joined, we started refining it. And now it's, I'd say it's fairly elegant. And at that point, it was like, yeah, we're going to need to release this as a proper library, not just my hack together repo. Around the same time that we worked on this, I started my own uh, freelancing business again. Uh, so I, I'd previously worked on uh, mostly Python and a web system. Uh, but I started freelancing again. So I actually had some time to dedicate into writing about this. And there's some advantages to just writing about tech when you're actually looking for tech work. So I ended up writing about it. And my writing on Inky is available at underjord.io, which is just my company website, but I keep a blog there. Uh, so I did some writing about it and it hit uh, Hacker News twice. <laughs> Uh, once about specifically Inky and once about Elixir in general, I would say, covering nerves and scenic and that sort of thing. So I remember seeing the Hacker News um, blip pop up. Uh, and of course, anything about Elixir and nerves kind of caught my attention. I remember at the time thinking, just feeling curious about um, about at this time, as you were starting to want to, to use e-ink displays with the nerves project, there, there is existing support, for instance, for like the, the Raspberry Pi 7-inch touchscreen. Um, was there something about e-ink displays that specifically fit a project that you're working on or a reason that you were drawn to, to want to do e-ink displays? I didn't have a specific project in mind for the e-ink display. Uh, I accidentally bought it, which, which is the kind of thing you do when you surf like Adafruit and Pimaroni. I just ended up impulse buying an e-ink display uh, and I got it wasn't actually this one uh, I ordered a papyrus and it came dead on arrival didn't work uh, so Adafruit sent me a replacement but the papyrus was out of uh, production at that point so they sent me an inky uh, as a replacement or they asked if it was all right and fair enough uh, and then I like I have this display I want to use it but I'm a little bit, I didn't want to work with Raspbian because I was excited about nerves. So I wanted to make it work under nerves. And before we were done with Inky, I was quite enthusiastic about Scenic as well. So I wanted to use Scenic and I didn't really want to do custom font rendering. And yeah, it was a bit of a rabbit hole, the whole thing. So uh, maybe one of the things you could kind of give some background on is like, Kind of describe this uh, this display, like what kind of dimensions are it? Does it have like like is it terms of pixel coverage? Like what kind of resolution might you have? Like so people can kind of start to think about uh, applications for it and kind of the dimensions and where it might fit into some a project or idea that they can have. Sure, if you know the size of a Pi Zero, that's smaller than a bis business card or credit card. That's the size of the Inky. P-Hat, I guess is the good name, which is the smaller display. They also have the WAT, which I think is, or W-Hat, which I guess is the size of a Raspberry Pi or slightly bigger. And those two run on the same, in the same way. And we actually have someone who contributed verifying that it actually works on a W-Hat at some point, uh, which is appreciated. <laughs> but it's, um, the resolution is 200 ish by 300 something Emilio do you remember um, for the watt or the fat uh, for the fat it's 212 times 104 I want to say <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> it's not a high resolution thing um, and one of the big gotchas with these uh, displays are the refresh rate because the cool thing about e-ink is once you change the pixels, you can actually turn off the device. They will still display the same thing. They are physically changing. <laughs> but uh, I think the fastest we made this thing uh, change pixels is 
if we go only black and white, I think we brought it down to uh, slightly above four seconds. Yeah, it's somewhere around there. And uh, there's not much you can do about it because it all boils down to physics where you have currents running through a liquid to move particles of different colors closer to the, the viewing surface um, of, the, of the display, which is a bit beyond what I understand. But as long as we have all the values and constants in place, it works. Uh, and we could port all of that from the Python library, so it was. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, it's we've seen one use in the wild so far, which is someone who experimented with animal tags. They posted on the Elixir forum and let us know that <laughs> gave us a shout out for making the library. Um, so they were using tags for um, animals that were kept and what work was getting done and that sort of thing. And uh, I mean, the display has been really nice to work with. Since it's a hobbyist display, it's not op optimized for the highest refresh rates you can have on an e-ink. Uh, it's not a Kindle. <laughs> it's Amazon probably pays a lot more for their, for their display than we would. Um, but it's a it's a cool little device. Um, I wouldn't use it for for building UI, but for building something like what's my next calendar event? Something you don't actually want to refresh more than once a minute, and only if it changes, then it's great. Uh, we do have one idea that neither of us have completed yet, which is making like an inspirational cross stitch of a bigger display that can change each day. <laughs> Would that be like multiple p-hats uh, assembled together into a single bigger display? Is that what you're thinking? I was mostly thinking a single uh, watt, so the bigger display, uh, to have a small cross-stitch. Uh, but you absolutely could place a bunch of them next to one another. I think you'd need several Raspberry Pis or some clever hacking. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a fun project. Uh, I think this is this is a good moment for the audience to to realize both how amazing Nerves is and also to beware of the deep rabbit holes because uh, this sounds so familiar to me as a Nerves enthusiast. You see something cool. I have also on impulse bought random sensors and peripherals for Raspberry Pis online, um, and you're just thinking like, oh, this is only twenty dollars. And then four months later, you realize that you have an open source library and blog posts and you're like, well, I guess if I can in my time, this is more than $20. <laughs> um, but it's, but it, it's honestly this amazing learning experience when you get all the way down to learning about, you know, current flowing through a liquid to bring colored particles closer and further away from a display. That's a really amazing, fun set of things to learn. And and you won't ever learn in quite that same way without being hands-on with devices. So huge, huge shout out. Um, I know we've done this multiple times, but uh, all the Nerves people and the Nerves community has all, always been really inviting of these kinds of projects in my experience. Um, I imagine that you guys probably had some conversations at different periods with other Nerves people about how to get things working. Um, and to me, this is just so cool to, to be able to see you know, e-ink is, is a fairly new piece of tech for most of the world. Um, and being able to use it from Elixir and start up a project as easily as you can with nerves and have an embedded device showing useful information is pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, a shout out go, should also go out to Greg Mefford uh, for his help with like welcoming everyone and asking what the project is on the I think that can, on the nerve slack, I think that contributes a lot to to that openness, uh, along with all the great documentation and uh, just like Frank and Justin and everyone being very like hands on with answering and helping you figure out stuff. It's really great. And it's also a good way to learn. Like you, like you said, you learn about um, like particles and currents flowing through liquids and stuff, but just the SPI level stuff and uh, I2C and all that, it's yeah, it's a, it's a really good way to learn something that you probably wouldn't have using just uh, the web development parts of Elixir. And the fun thing is it's still the same language. So it's yeah, I feel like you get a lot for that 20 bucks you spent, actually, <laughs> Michael. I, uh, I love that that's the entrance fee for learning all this stuff. Yeah, if you consider like your education budget, like how much money you might spend on going to movies or buying video games, it's like 
20 bucks and you, how much hours of entertainment you get from it or frustration, depending on your experience, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's still money well spent, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say the things I've learned in this project are, are an odd bunch. Um, I didn't, I don't think we actually learned so much about nerves because we didn't have many issues with nerves for this project. Uh, it's been pretty smooth sailing. Frank's uh, circuits library hasn't caused a single issue for us using uh, using the interfaces we need, uh, which I believe is GPIO and SPI. Um, what I ended up diving pretty deep into was uh, Scenic because we wanted us, or <laughs> I think this was my <laughs> my horse. Uh, I wanted a scenic driver so we could display text basically. And I cribbed some code from uh, a nerves training I was at, which was open source. It's called Nerves Team um, that Frank and Justin ran. Uh, I cribbed some code from there uh, to make a driver to allow us to display the like any nerves UI basically on the ink, of course, you don't want to update it too often and it won't update too often uh, because the driver will just ignore you for a bit. But I ended up diving down into how to write the driver for Scenic and also investigating if I could remove the anti-aliasing from the driver currently used in Scenic, which ended up being uh, a problem that went deeper uh, down into sea land and I, I had to concede that for now. <laughs> for now but this also meant that now recently when um, a fairly new contributor to the nerves uh, channel ended up uh, showing up asking about fixing mouse support for scenic on the pi i knew enough about scenic drivers to not be completely intimidated and could guide him in the right direction. Uh, I did not know that mice did not work in Scenic on a nerves device, but uh, they're currently optimized for touch because that's the supported display. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clabo actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. But yeah, I've I've ended up checking the source for so many things that I usually just wouldn't have uh, because of this project. Well, one of the things I love that you said uh, was just how uh, problem-free the nerves portion was and circuits library was. And like that isn't even really where you spent uh, any like troubleshooting time. I think that's great. It's an awesome testament. And then uh, I just think it's awesome that this e-ink display is... I didn't realize uh, that when you set it, it just stays even though you're not sending any more current to it. Uh, that is really cool. And you know, I love the idea of that, how you, you told that story of uh, a com community member created a name tags in an animal hospital for the pets. And I just think that's so cool. You know, being able to kind of put those kinds of things, it's like just saying, hey, you know, here's something that can kind of give a little bit more, uh, you know, real hospitals have budgets and you know, with people and, and like, so you, you kind of like, well, what can we do to hack it to make something more kind of personalizable and meaningful for the people and their pets? So I just love that kind of idea, uh, that application. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a great thing. It, it, it's, um, they, they said that it even improve, could improve uh, patient, well, for a patient, I don't know what you call them, uh, security. <laughs> So it's nice to, to, at least in the prototyping stage, uh, contribute to something like that, just by accident, really. It's uh, one of the nice things about open source, I guess. Yeah. So how did you guys get started with nerves? Oh, dear. I started looking at it, I think, rather briefly uh, 
just after it was announced, I think, uh, I saw a talk from one of the Elixir Confs basically before I, I even started using Elixir. I was like, hmm, I want to try this. And I read up on it. I'm, I'm not sure I tried it at that point or not, but I've had my eye on it for a while because it seems like a, it seems like a very good fit for, uh, for the Beam OTP and just the, the whole resilience thing, um, which is sorely lacking in many IoT <laughs> devices. Um, so I've had my eye on nerves, but I haven't had a good enough excuse to use it up to a certain point. And then I found some free time and just dove into it, tried a few things. The thing that really, uh, that really got me uh, invested, I think, was, was when I started wanting to send sensor data to, um, to my Raspberry Pi from, from microcontrollers. And Connor Rigby of the Nerves core team has done very similar stuff so i he uh, guided me into mysensors.org which is an interesting uh, thing if you like sensors and if you want to run things on battery for a long time so low power sensors and just having a hub to send the data to i started digging around with that um and uh, ended up using a bunch of his uh, his uh, side project stuff um, and with that guidance and some attempts to try to get like the Pi TFT screens working, it's like what mattered was that I got access to core team members or knowledgeable nerves members that wanted to help me get started with anything, different things, uh, and were willing to teach me, willing to show me, willing to make actually sit through and like yeah okay i don't have this device i can't confirm if it works it should work tell me this tell me that okay let's see if we can get this to work so they're very patient they're very keen on making things work um, they're very invested and it's it's lovely that's that's how i got roped into this and so now i'm stuck <laughs> happily stuck <laughs> I I, uh, I love the, your comment about the resiliency of, of the beam and in the way that systems get designed on the beam and how that fits in with embedded devices. Um, actually, I was, as I was thinking more and more about uh, usages for e-ink displays, um, and I was thinking about uh, that company that you mentioned, uh, I think they're called instinct.vet. And, um, and so they're, they're using these e-ink displays to kind of provide uh, a little bit of information about whichever animal is in that part of the hospital. And uh, it occurred to me that that was actually a great way to, to make, to optimize for availability of the information. For instance, if somebody uh, has an update on a tag and you update that e-ink display, and then there's an over-the-air update, you could, you could still show that even though your device is maybe in the middle of rebooting or whatever. And so in a way, e-ink displays fit in very well with this narrative of kind of availability and resiliency, because as soon as your device comes back up, you can keep going with your project um, and provide additional updates, but especially for things that don't update every second or 30 times a second, uh, being able to have that very available um, fits in well with the idea of most nervous projects. So uh, I hadn't really thought about that, but I think this is a cool way that, um, a, that a, a product like Instinct has that ability to, to provide really resilient hardware kind of uh, right at the point that somebody needs that information. Um, and also, Amelia, I'd love to hear a little bit, you had mentioned that you are coming from, mostly from Erlang, that you've been doing Erlang professionally for uh, about a year. Um, and so how has, the, how has coming into the NERVS project and, and working in Elixir, how has that been for you? So yeah, I, I worked at a startup in 2012 through 13, so one year basically. Um, and there we used Erlang. And uh, since that, I've been like, I've had this itch to scratch, <laughs> both in, in terms of using functional programming in general, but also specifically working with uh, Beam stuff. So uh, fast forward a couple of years and I'm, I'm uh, toying around with uh, Elixir to to write um, and Phoenix actually to write a small timesheet thing as you do when you work as a consultant you never manage all of that manually you always write a, write a small tool for it uh, a lot of people do at least 
And um, so that, that's how I got into Elixir, uh, Phoenix as well, like I mentioned. And then I just worked my way down, I guess, <laughs> because uh, I, I've always been wanting to do something with uh, Raspberry Pis and haven't really found like the, the right fit. It's mostly been Arduino based stuff. So I was well aware of like the timings and lower level stuff that you, you toy with in, in that platform. But when I finally got on, got on to doing nerve stuff, I think it was when I borrowed the um, seven inch uh, official touchscreen that we had at work just to do some stuff. And it just, I just was blown away at how easy it was. Uh, it's like, yeah, if you know CSS and uh, HTML and the way of JavaScript, this really it just maps to to concepts that are sort of universal in, in in one paradigm of UI programming. So it's like, oh, okay, it's it's always been that for me with with nerves and and uh, Elixir because there's if you know other stuff, you can always lean on that, and it's it doesn't surprise you. It's it's weird to explain it. I should probably also mention that, that, that I've got this project uh, that I'm working on where I'm building a controller for this uh, digital audio workstation software that I use. So I found that there, are, there is this protocol called OSC. So this is, this is rabbit hole territory now, uh, which is open sound control or something like that. And you can use that to basically do MIDI stuff over UDP. So I was like, okay, cool. And what if I could use this to control um, the software I like to make music in? So uh, I Googled a bit and found, oh, look, there's someone who's made a bunch of templates for a client for this stuff. And oh, wait, look, they've also made a server that connects to the software that I use. So it acts sort of as a middleware. And then you could use your smartphone or tablet client. Um, Touch OSC, I think it's is the name. So I bought the client, I bought the templates, which included the, um, the server middleware thing that allows the smartphone to communicate with the music software. And, and I was inspecting the protocol and I was like, this is really simple. I wonder if someone has written, yeah, someone has written a parser for this. Okay, cool. Um, so I, <laughs> I just pulled that into a project and started a new nerves project and started fiddling around with, um, with um, Scenic and the UDP stuff required. And all of a sudden I could uh, point and click in a window on my computer um, that, that, so that this window contained a virtual mixer sort of. So I had bi-directional communication uh, with Scenic, or through Scenic with my um, music making software. And it was like, I was just putting things together all the time and it was, it was ridiculous. I was mostly wasting time over engineering the solution because I had already proven that I could do this to myself. So I was like, okay, let's do this properly. And so now I'm, I'm building this little, little um, Arduino controller to speak to my Raspberry Pi, which will display this, the current state uh, on a display. So I've been thinking if that would be something I'd want to use an ink display for. And most of the time I decided, no, it's probably not <laughs> the right fit because in music it's real time and you sometimes want to change uh, a lot of parameters at once. It, it would just be a mess. So I'd probably, I'll probably not use the ink for that, but it's one of those um, those fun projects where where you just go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole and you, you, you come up with something that's a, a physical thing you can touch as well, which is what's so awesome about Nerves. It lets you program like in a high level language to, to do low level stuff because this Arduino controller is basically a bunch of rotary encoders, which are, for those that don't know, uh, little knobs that you can turn infinitely in, uh, well, clockwise and counterclockwise, and you just get a pulse that is basically interpreted as plus one or minus one, we can, we can say to simplify things. And uh, they're clickable, so I've got like eight buttons and eight of these rotary encoders. And um, I'm, I'm just thinking about how to do weird mappings between like interactions with that and, and what I want to happen in the software. Because like we said before, the libraries and frameworks don't get in the way. So it's really amazing the level of complexity you get can get into without having to write too much code. 
That sounds really cool. All right. uh, like like a, a fun project, and maybe uh, you'll be able to write about that uh, that audio controller and interface at some point, and kind of be able to share that with the world. You could, you could wire a rotary encoder into something that manipulates state in a plug to make a web application slower <laughs> based on a knob. <laughs> That would be awesome. Because then you could just like, oh, we're under high load. We turn it to 11. That's correct. Yeah. I've been thinking about using big arcade buttons, you know, those that are 10 centimeters, I guess. How many inches are that? Uh, five Four? inches. Five? Oh, yeah. Uh, across, like, as big as you have the palm of your button, just to 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 have something that post makes a native HTTP request to uh, to a Jenkins server or whatever, just to it needs to be the it. deploy button. Yeah, yeah, exactly, a big red button. Deploy the fixes or whatever. Yes. Well, um, <laughs> sorry, Mark. I just needed to throw in a quick um, throwback. So this is uh, I'm just going to link to a an article from Joe Armstrong when he was playing with OSC. Uh, this is um, back from a little while ago, and it. it it's giving me the feels to think about Joe again and, uh, and how playful he was in this kind of stuff. And he, he was doing a lot of things with the Sonic Pi project and being able to hook that up with OSC to, um, to help kids create music and, and do interesting music stuff. So, uh, just, just wanted to throw in a quick, we miss you Joe moment and, um, say that I'm super glad that other people are continuing to be curious and push these kinds of edges of, use cases for the beam. So thanks, Emilio. No, yeah. It, he's, he for sure has been an inspiration and keeps on being one uh, with that example and many, many others. Of just, what if I do this? And then, then you just dig and the rabbit hole gets so deep and you get lost in it. Yeah. Uh, when we were at, we were at CodeSync uh, in Stockholm, CodeBeam, BeamSync. What did they call that conference these days? Oh. Anyway, we were at a conference in Stockholm, uh, the first time we actually met um, me and uh, Emilio. And Boyd was there, uh, the author of Scenic. Uh, so we spoke to him a bit and he was like, yeah, uh, a while back, this was before he was speaking about before Joe's passing. Joe was really, really on me about these and these things because Joe was very interested in the Scenic project apparently which doesn't really surprise me because it seems like it's right up, would be right up his wheelhouse with being able to do UI from the beam. And I thought that was interesting. During that conference, Emilio also got a shout out for his uh, components that he made for Scenic, the rotary encoder components. It was part of the Scenic demo from that conference. Yeah, that was fun. He was like, can I use this in my presentation? I was like, whoa, wait, what, what, what do you mean? Yeah, I want to show this to people. It's like, whoa, it was a bit, it was a very humbling, humbling thing. Um, a bit of an ego boost as well, I guess. But it was, cool. um, yeah, yeah, because he was like a bit, I don't know, it, it was just fun <laughs> to, to see that something you'd thrown together. And I, I'd just been looking at his code figuring out, okay, he does that, he does this kind of math um, to do that sort of, to figure out this um, interaction or effect on the, on the variables that you have, that you're controlling. And I was just adapting it and adding my touches to it to make a rotary encoder uh, for the on-screen because I had this crazy idea about being able to control the physical rotary encoders and the touch screen, just touch anywhere I was looking in order to change parameters. So yeah, it was fun to see that he brought that up. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I've found fascinating with joining the Elixir community is that it's still a fairly small community. And if you go to a conference or event, you're bound to encounter uh, the very people that are speaking at the conference is like the people that are the most well-known or somewhat famous in the community like Boyd or Jose or uh, Chris McCord. I mean, they're at most of these conferences and they are fairly approachable. Uh, I'd say, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd say anyone you feel like talking to or feel like you have a, have something to discuss with, uh, just go up to them. They're generally very approachable, very friendly. I've been, 
I've been very happy with my interactions with this community so far. And I think that the, it's still being fairly small really helps there. I can't imagine it being this easy in the JavaScript community <laughs> to be on a first name basis with, uh, with like most of the people in a major project. Like Nerves is still a fairly small project because most people do not need hardware. Most people don't need to write IoT code. So uh, it's a really cool project. I've never seen anything quite like it, but it's, it's still small. It's a niche. Uh, scenic has the same sort of situation and the people around it are approachable and very happy for you to use it so it's been a good experience going i've been to ElixirConf eu and i've been to codebeam and it's been great when i first started taking computer science classes in college i thought programming was just a joke in fact i changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design then i found ruby and i fell in love i love ruby it was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. Very cool. Now, Emilio, I know uh, some of the things you'd said is that as you kind of take some of these rabbit holes and you learn things that you kind of, you learn things that are useful and just generally helpful. And one of the things that you had mentioned in our kind of show preparation was EPROF, FPROF, and CPROF. And these are... Uh, built into the Erlang system, but, and I, I just kind of like looking up some of it, it's like, you know, the CPROF module is used to profile a program to find out how many different functions are called. And so I just wonder if you could just kind of, I have not used this. I would just love to hear a little bit of the kind of discovery that you've had with some of these things and how you've uh, found that they could be useful to you. Yeah. Um, it was pretty interesting because I, I was aware of their existence because a coworker of mine had worked at Ericsson and they used <laughs> they used Erlang to control the test rig for a diesel pump. It was it, I was like what the, so you're, you what <laughs> they weren't even using it to 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 do the actual stuff that needed to be done in that project. But I guess that just to show what you can do with it. But yeah, since then I've been like oh it would be fun to need to profile because I, I I'm a bit lazy and do things last minute and on demand, sort of, uh, for, at least for hobby projects, for time reasons, of course. And uh, just thought, hmm, we're having some uh, performance issues with the displays and the driver, well, not the driver, the library, I guess. And just wanted to figure out where are we spending time. So I, I just threw in all of these to see <laughs> what the output was like, because I. I couldn't really understand the difference between some of them or, or, or like, oh, how am I supposed to interpret this? So I just threw the tool at, my, at our code and uh, refactored some things so that, so that you'd have clear functions that were, were being called because that was a, an important aspect of it because the profiling is done on a function basis often. So if you want to know where you spend time, you can't have everything be in a big chained expression because then you'll just see, oh, the entry point to the chained expression and then you know that you spent a lot of time in there. Uh, so that taught me a bit about like bringing some enterprise programming practices uh, into this as well. Like, oh, okay, that's a good idea here too. Uh, so yeah, that was fun. And um, have you uh, just to interrupt? Have you seen yeah. Flame, which will uh, which will work with FProf to produce a flame graph of uh, a bit of processing time? I will soon. Uh, that's yeah. I'll, I'll post it. I'll post it in the chat. We used it. It's really useful. Eflame. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because like one of the questions I had was I haven't not having used any of these profiling tools that are that we were talking about here. That uh, I was just wondering, are they usable from Elixir? So I guess oh, that yeah. helps too. Like I was wondering if like the, I, I got to take a look at this. Okay, that is very interesting looking. Yeah, the, the, tool, cool. the, the e tools play. are really useful. Uh, they're, they're wrapped. The, the, there is a mix, mixed task wrapper for it. So you just you run it like anything else in Elixir land. You don't even have to know the, 
that it's uh, from Erlang. I mean, there's probably some documentation that you'll have to go over, go over and read on the Erlang docs, but I mean, once you've dealt with one long enough, you can squint and the languages look the same. Yeah, I've uh, started to have reasons to delve into Erlang here and there. One thing I did for Inky that uh, was pretty interesting was uh, for um, being able to develop on your host machine. Uh, I decided I wanted to use a low dependency approach uh, for for being able to fake a display on your desktop, uh, so that you could you could write your code for Inky using our library, and you could display it on in a window on your desktop. And I could have used Scenic; uh, that would have been faster for me. But I was curious to see if I could do it without introducing additional dependencies and depending on if you actually have a properly compiled uh, WX widgets library for your Erlang, um, which most people do, but I don't think everyone gets it. Uh, you can actually use Inky host dev, which is if you, if you use that instead of our normal uh, nerves oriented uh, hardware backend, you get a small window to match your display and your pixels show up on your in a window on your desktop instead. Uh, and I did that using the <laughs> batteries included Erlang VX library, which WX for WX widgets. It wasn't the easiest library in <laughs> it's the documentation for the Erlang WX widgets is very thin it's stuff yep. like what you actually need to do is check out the wx widgets documentation and just assume that erlang does exactly what that does <laughs> and you need to be aware that there's some magic state that's being modified uh, but other than that it i mean it's it works it's really useful uh, I'm bound to find reasons to use it at some point again, because I think it's interesting and it's worth a blog post at the very least. There's a lot of tooling in Erlang, which which you end up realizing, oh, this is why no one has written this for Elixir yet. It's already here. Or, uh, I don't really feel like pulling in a dependency. I'll just fight with HTTPC for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Not the best client I've ever used, but it's it works. I've built a project with it just recently. Yeah, we have talked about that in the past, how there are just a lot of gems that are kind of built into the standard library or the beam that are just available to us. Well, that is probably a good place for us to wrap this topic. Let's move on to picks. Josh, do you have something? I do. So I spent uh, some of this weekend setting up a media center computer because I had a laptop that wasn't doing anything. And uh, among other things, I set up an NFS share for my, uh, my media, my videos, my music, et cetera. And there's a tool called AutoFS that you can install in Linux that will give you a, a path in your system. So like slash net slash machine name slash NFS share mount path. And it's just a constantly accessible NFS shares with no mounting or anything. And it's really, really cool if you're doing a media center, uh, way better than having to mount it on every machine. And then also, if you're doing a media center uh, with Linux, you should check out Kodi.tv, which is uh, just just really cool. It's uh, It used to be Xbox Media Center, and it's impressive. Anyway, that's it. Nice. Michael? Just one pick this week. Um, so I've been recently working on a hobby project of taking an old 1970s golf cart and trying to bring it back to life. Um, and as part of that, I needed to find lithium ion batteries and I needed more than like, you know, one amp hour <laughs> of storage because that's, so I've done uh, remote control airplanes, you use very small batteries and you pretty much just order exactly the battery you need. And in this case, I wanted to get a little bit deeper in. So I found a, a great YouTube channel, um, a guy named Yehu Garcia, and he goes through a lot of details about building your own kinds of batteries lots of trade-offs between different chemistries, how you can handle charging them, setting them up in series and parallel, balancing all sorts of interesting topics in that area if you happen to find yourself in that rabbit hole. So 
I pretty much just ended up watching videos from him during lunch breaks for like a week and then ordering a bunch of things. And I now have a running motor, but it only runs at full speed and scares the living daylights out of me and my kids. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> I think maybe one of my future picks will be a speed controller that actually controls the speed of a motor. <laughs> I can just imagine like a Tesla battery hooked up to that thing and just make it a, a Model S, you know, go-kart. Or <laughs> Pretty much. I, I can't buy a model, uh, Tesla at the moment. So this is my, uh, this is my substitute. <laughs> I love it. All right. I was going to pick uh, two. Um, one was this, uh, this project that a friend shared with me. So if you have ever taken like... Um, uh, programming problem puzzles that people might uh, present to you when you're uh, interviewing for a job or something like that. A common one is FizzBuzz. And it's just where you're trying to, it's basically testing you know how to use modulus and to do division and get remainders. And and like just kind of on when it's divisible by this number, print Fizz. When it's divisible by this number, print Buzz. And if it's divisible by both, then do FizzBuzz. So that's that's the idea of it. And this is an enterprise Java version of FizzBuzz. And so like, I love the little, it, you can see it on GitHub. Uh, check it out in the show notes. It's, uh, it's the enterprise edition is a no-nonsense implementation of FizzBuzz made by serious businessmen for serious business purposes. And what is so funny about this is you kind of dig into it and just you know, look at how it's constructed. And you have to actually get down pretty deep before you get to a point where you actually have code that does something because it's all interfaces and factories and strategies. And you have like a, I think it's, you know, like the arithmetic, like operators, you know, as, as classes, it's just, it's, a, it's insane. But to me, it's kind of a reminder about how uh, in architecting, it is totally possible to just go too far with something. And the other one I was going to pick is, uh, a, I got a joystick controller for my computer. Uh, it is a Logitech G29 driving force. So it is a force feedback steering wheel and pedals for driving games. And so this game had come out on, uh, huh, let's see, it was a Steam game that came out and it was free for a very limited time. And it was Dirt Rally. And it was part of a promotion for their new Dirt Rally 2. And so I got the game and it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. Talk to my friend and he's like, oh, I played that at my cousin's house. And he had this setup with the steering wheel and he's like, it's so much better. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll try it because it's not cheap, right? It's like, a, you know, you can buy it on Amazon here. Here's a link in the show notes, but it's, it is, it does totally make the difference, but it is a game that becomes, it makes the game so much more interactive that I have eight-year-old twins. They can drive the car and get the force feedback and have fun with it. And it's not like, you know, having to work and worry about like a controller. And I've got teenage daughters and they can play with it, you know, cause they're like driving or learning to drive and, and, you know, they can do it and it makes sense to them. It's not like their normal like gaming kind of thing, which is just not like PC gaming is not a thing for them. So I just thought it was a fun thing. I'm not a huge gamer, but I thought it made a big uh, experience difference and it was a lot of fun. So that's something to check out. All right, Lars, how about you? Yeah, uh, I ended up with two of them. Scenic Layoutomatic, uh, which is something uh, that Beardy Wheat in the Scenic uh, channel released recently. A library which helps you with automatic layouts for Scenic, uh, which is a sorely missing feature in Scenic. Uh, Scenic is meant for fixed resolution displays, so manually managing the pixels isn't that much of a hassle, but people want to use it for a lot of different stuff. And this is the first uh, thorough attempt I've seen at layouting. And his target is to basically implement as much of CSS grid that makes sense. This is what I understood. I haven't tried it yet, and I'm very keen to. And my second one, uh, which sort of ties into racing controllers, I guess, is uh, I recently just uh, started reflecting on how useful it's been for me that I started to go past like the looking at the libraries I use and actually going into them whenever I have a question about them, um, such as 
when I encounter an issue with Scenic or I miss, I've misunderstood something about Scenic or Ecto, I end up looking at the code because it's Elixir code. And it's usually very self-contained and very understandable. And I've realized that you can actually push newbies into that code and have them learn. <laughs> uh, and I recently found something I, I hadn't experienced uh, around NERVS, which is the input event library, which is something Latote created. Uh, so I'm guessing uh, that's Justin, right? It's usually Justin, which allows you to uh, follow events from arbitrary input devices on NERVS. So I tested it a bit, plugged in one a gaming mouse, and it showed up as, let's see, I think it was four or five input devices because it's one gaming mouse. Uh, and it tells you, I will be able to send these events. And then you can just start a gen server, basically, that says, listen to those events. Or, or rather, you say, I want those events. And then you can pattern match on them. And then you can act based on any old input device. Um, it's a really interesting part of like Linux uh, hardware abstractions that I hadn't seen. And it's that cool. does look really cool. Yeah, you can do a lot with that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming on today. And if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where should they go to do that? For me, it's uh, mostly underyord.io or underyord, I guess, uh, which is my company site and blog. Uh, I'm Lawik on Twitter, L-A-W-I-K, uh, and Lawik or Lars Wikman uh, in most places. I, uh, me and Emilio also run the Pappersverk uh, GitHub for, for the Inky project and any other weird projects we decide to make, I guess. Yeah, and we're open to people uh, wanting who, who want to uh, share the code, because uh, there's some stuff that's really just common, uh, I think. Uh, to figuring out how to control a screen. And it would be fun to see if we can just make the inky part into a plugin or, or something of sorts in that project. Nice. And uh, yeah, um, I'm at Nyarai on most places. Uh, and we will have that in the show notes because people yeah. may not be able to sound that out. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a Hungarian last name that I'm not even sure how to pronounce myself since I don't speak it. <laughs> As things go. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.